This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to Valley Football First and Goal, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference on the lineupmedia.fm network. Now, your host, Kelly Burke. Welcome to another season of the MVFC First and Gold podcast. My guest today is former Illinois State All-American linebacker Boomer Grigsby. And please note, this podcast was recorded before the spring 2021 season and prior to Boomer's sixth straight year being nominated for the College Football Hall of Fame. Now to our conversation. Welcome to the MVFC First Single Podcast. I'm Kelly Burke, and joining me today is the former Illinois State football great, Boomer Grigsby. Boomer was a three-time All-American linebacker and a three-time Valley Defensive Player of the Year. In 2005, he was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, and he went on to play five seasons in the NFL. Boomer, good to be catching up with you. You are now living and working in Las Vegas. What does post-football life look like? Post-football life was an interesting adventure. Um, obviously, you know, you're never really ready for the game to stop. And some days, sometimes it just decides that it's kind of done with you before you are with it. So it was, it was quite the transition. Uh, fortunately, I, I had a best friend that I played college football with named Yance Vaughn, who's a quarterback at Illinois State that when I got drafted into professional football, he kind of went into medical device world. So then when I was kind of at a, a career crossroads years later, he felt this was something that I could, be, uh, I could be good at. And so he kind of sought me out. And then I actually moved to Lubbock, Texas to become his like associate sales rep underneath him. So now I'm tackling corporate America one day at a time doing medical device sales instead of people. How has the transition been from football to the corporate world? It's good. Uh, I were, fortunately, I work with a company called Striker that's very performance-based, similar to sports and football. Uh, we, have, we have a fantastic culture. I mean, I think they were just voted like a top five company in the world to work for. Um, and our sales culture is very kind of stacking. It's very competitive, which is similar to sports. So that, that part of the transition was actually easy. And then, you know, fortunately, they give us quite a bit of autonomy. So I feel like we kind of operate our own business underneath a billion-dollar corporation uh, umbrella. So a lot of the things from, from sports, you know, discipline and, and the hard work ethic, you know, the same things is why majority of businesses like to recruit former athletes have proved out to be very well for me in this industry. You mentioned leaving the game of football. It's, it's hard to believe, but it's been more than 10 years now since your NFL career ended. What was the hardest part about leaving the game of football? I think there's a lot of things that were hard about it. You know, I mean, in the end, I, I, I got injured in the very end, but it wasn't career-ending injury the way that some people would kind of assume. Like, just because you're injured doesn't necessarily mean it's a career-ending injury. It was more so the timing of my injury, of, of kind of where I was in my career. You know, I was drafted as an inside linebacker and thought that was my future by Dick Vermeil, but then Dick Vermeil retired. And similar to business, when a new head coach comes in, the, the staff and the personnel and everyone kind of changes over. So, you know, Herm Edwards came to me, I believe, in my third year and, and kind of gave me the, the conversation of it's in my best interest to make this football team for me to move to fullback. It was, like, it was kind of like the polite suggestion. Um, 
and looking back, like I have no regrets. Like I, I was, I was proud to play professional football, but I think I was more proud to actually make a switch from linebacker to fullback in one off season and, and make the team. Um, I think there was a lot of difficulties about leaving the game. It just, it's, it's such a part of your identity. You know I mean? Once you, once you, make it the professional football. And I think it's still similar for even people that are leaving collegiate football. It's just that that transition is a little bit more natural because it's kind of that way for everyone. Where when you play professional football, you, you know, you never really know if you're going to play, you know, one camp or 10 years, you know, the majority of people don't get to leave on their own agenda, you know, and I, I was definitely one of those in a way I felt like I made a decision to walk away in the end after five years um, instead of going to another training camp, but I also thought that was in my best interest for like for my future. Um, so I think when I initially left, like it was kind of an identity crisis for a little while. You know, I mean, I I was fortunate to come aboard this great company, but at the time I didn't know it was a great company. And my precedent set was the National Football League, which is one of the greatest companies in the world. So I, I think it was a struggle for a little while of trying to figure out kind of who I was and who I was going to be for a while, because for years, you know, you're just kind of known as a football player. And then one day football's done with you and the world isn't exactly interested in all American awards and tackle titles and all the things that you were kind of known for in college or, you know, when you're playing professional football, you're hundred percent performance based. Like if you don't play very well, they simply replace you, you know, just cause you make the team doesn't mean you stay on the team. Um, so that, that initial transition, there was so much just uncertainty and kind of what I wanted to do. And, and like I said, I was very lucky to have a friend bring me into a career that, you know, 10 years later, I'm still with, but it still took a few years, I think, for me to transition into that. I honestly think my feelings were hurt and I was afraid to admit it <laughs> looking back. Yeah. You know, I think it was just, it was a tough moment of reality that I kind of hid from the world and just kind of put the head down and tried to go in a positive way. But I think it took some time for me to kind of get over it. Yeah. That's... Long answer, but affected my, my, my life for sure. All very interesting though. That's a, I think that's the biggest thing I hear from guys that I talk to that played in the NFL is, you know, it's, it's so much more of a business. And so as much as you love the game, there's this very business side that it's, it's very cut and dry and it's a, it's a hard transition to make. Right. If, if you had to give advice to current college athletes, whether or not they're going to go on to play at the next level, what would you tell them about forming an identity outside of football and making that transition? Great question. I mean, it's tough to say because part of partly everything you learn in business and corporate world is how people need more balance in their lives. But I don't know if that's really a realistic thing to tell a kid who's dreaming of playing professional football because so much it overcomes your life in such a huge way that I'm not exactly sure you can you can address that balance until you're maybe like a few years in also just like a typical, like maturity level. Like, I mean, when I got drafted, I think I was 22, you know, and, and how the years kind of changed that dramatically because you kind of get hit in the face with going from college where you go to class and you got a, you got a practice schedule and you have a meal card and you're probably on some sort of stipend to then actually balancing your own checkbook and just doing all the adulting things, you know, it was kind of a, a change, but then professional football is still kind of like college football where like, for instance, like when you need to go to the doctor, you just call the team trainer and he tells you where to go to the doctor. 
Well, when you enter the real world, like you need your own doctor, <laughs> like little basic things that you never thought of. I think that I would, if I had any advice though, like, uh, I'm a huge believer in education. You know, I went back and finished my degree from Illinois State at the University of Kansas during my first off season. And I think looking back, that is one of the greatest things that I, that I really ever did because, you know, the older you get, I think the harder it is to go back. I think my father had told me that. So, like, I can't imagine it had been when I was 27 or 28 back in college. Not that there's a problem with that because graduating at any time is still the right thing to do. But I think that if you – can set yourself up earlier on, you know, ideally you graduate before you leave. You know, I technically left a semester early to go train for the combine, but then I think even if you're a current player, like you still have an off season that you can go back to school. In fact, it's, it's kind of a, it's a known fact now that the off season demands aren't even as high as they were when I was playing just because of the collective bargaining. I don't think I was naive to think that I was going to play pro, pro football forever, but it still is an identity crisis day. That kind of comes to an end. So I think it is important to kind of have some other dreams and ambitions, you know, career possibilities. Maybe you've been doing some some business development over your time playing professional football. So then when you leave, you may have an idea of something that you can get into. And then clearly, you know, this is a I don't know how you even advise this. This happens where someone happens rather like I didn't have a family when I was playing professional football. And looking back, I don't even know how I could have because I was such like I had so much insecurity with today and tomorrow and like where my life was going to be that I felt like I was kind of under a lot of stress and pressure that like I probably would have really liked having a family that much at the time but then when I got out now I do have a full-on family I sometimes wonder if that would have provided me a little bit more security at the time so I mean that question can go either way I just think it's I think it's very important that you, you find some things that you really enjoy and that are kind of part of your identity. So then when that day ends, when football kind of goes, does come to an end, you can kind of redirect some of your focus and some of your energy into something that's healthy for you. And that's different for everybody. I read that you went unrecruited in high school until an Illinois State coach saw you lifting in your high school weight room. How did you fly so under the radar? <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting that's that's an absolute fact so I was I was I believe I was only discovered if the story was told to complete truth because I have a best I had a best friend that I went to high school with that was like 6'4 275 pounds he was a big guy so he kind of fit all those intangibles of of going on to the next level and a graduate assistant I believe at the time or maybe like a first year um position coach named Derek Winnington uh that was coaching Illinois State, I think he went to every one of his high schools in his area, probably just over trying to do his job, you know, because, I mean, to try to find some talent and just try to, to work and hustle as much as he could. And I was actually lifting weights, and that was the day that he kind of found me. And they, uh, they, Illinois State stayed in touch with me. You know, I mean, I think they'd sent me, like, a couple letters. They sent me a, a media guide that I carried around at school. Um, they came to my first game, and they offered me a scholarship. Um, and that's the way that I remember it. And I remember not one other school really speaking to me, not a Division Two, not a Division Three, not an NAIA, definitely not a Division One. Um, no, one no one came calling. It was just kind of like I flew completely on the radar, which is interesting because this is 1999. You know, it's not like it's 1969 where, you know, there wasn't as much. But, I mean, there wasn't as much of a social media presence, I guess. And then I think also, like, I kind of emerged more out of nowhere, like, as, as a senior. Like, I was a, a small – 
smaller freshmen that kind of continued to grow and kind of develop late. But, you know, I'll never forget that, that you know, that, that man found me. And that's the only reason Illinois State kind of gave me a look. And that changed my life. I mean, everything else is country that was based off of that, that, that moment. And it, and it definitely wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have came in the spring and saw me lifting weights on a Tuesday. You know, I mean, whatever, whatever day it was that he came. It, was, it wasn't because of game film and it wasn't because of any all-state accolades or any like, you know, because a lot of times in high school football, the guy who goes to play college football has always been the best guy on the team. And it just, that wasn't the case for me. You know, I mean, I think I was a good player on our team. I think there was a lot of players on my high school football team that made more of an impact on us winning than I did. But clearly they saw something in me that they could develop. And then I took on to it in college. Why did you flourish so much at Illinois State? Uh, I mean, a lot of reasons. I, I think I had a great support system. Um, I had wonderful friendships. And then I think I just became completely obsessed with with the fact that I could make myself more. You know, I mean, the weight room was always kind of the foundation of my life. Like, I was always kind of a glorified meathead by just pure desire of, of loving what the weight room could deliver. Like, I love that it could change me. I love that I could make myself better. And I think, fortunately, the weight room is just the most synergistic with the sport of football. Weight room will make any athlete, no matter what sport you play, better. But in football, the idea of being bigger, stronger, faster is kind of, it just kind of transfers, I think, a little easier. So then when you bring me to college, I mean, in high school, like I'd pretty much done a lot of that on my own. And, and I wasn't even really, I guess, professionally trained, you know, and I had this great base just because my mother worked at a YMCA and I was completely obsessed with, you know, a work ethic in the weight room and that more was better. And that's really the only time in your life you can be that way. Because looking back at how hard I kind of trained in high school, like I, I don't even think if you had a real coach, they would allow you to train that hard because it's it's probably just not even that good for your body but when you're you know in high school you're going through puberty so like I mean you know people remember you can run forever you kind of heal so much faster like I was kind of growing up as a man right at the time that I was kind of just completely crushing myself in the weight room so I think that set this foundation but then at Illinois State they kind of seized that and I think as I started to grow up and develop more and I was still obsessed with the weight room um, it really started to transfer on the football field I mean the, the first award I ever won at Illinois State was called the Dominator Belt, which I actually have in my weight room here. Really? Um, it was like the trophy that mattered the most to me. It was just, it's like a belt that the strength coach would give out to like the guy. There was a kind of a ratio that they would use for like, uh, like, like squat, bench, deadlift, 40, um, flexibility, vertical. And they would assign like a top dominator each position and they would assign like a top dominator overall. And that was like an award that I was just completely obsessed with winning because once again, like it was kind of something I could control. I could pour all of my effort into this college weight room. And now you have a meal card and I have real coaching. Like, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. And I think that, that foundation then once again, even in college helped kind of portray over into the football field, which kind of allowed me to kind of see results. And then I, I mean, I had some, some fortunate things happen. Like I redshirted, so I got a, a year to grow up and adjust. Like I wasn't ready to play as a freshman. Like I, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, it was just my, my football knowledge was, I think, so beyond, um, behind, probably better to say, so behind guys that played at like bigger schools or more complex programs that like I just didn't really fully get it, let alone the speed of the game. And then just leaving my small town for the first time. 
Um, you know, I mean, I, I'd never really been anywhere. I thought Bloomington Normal was Chicago the first time that I'd been to it. You know, like it was just a, a different world for me. And so having a year to redshirt and then having coaches support me and, and, and once again, the weight room, having all this focus, like I think all of those things kind of came together and just set the tone for, for a good career. You, you mentioned your mom. How much of your work ethic was developed because you grew up in a blue collar small town in Illinois? I think all of it. You know, I think my father taught me uh, about Pete Rose and he didn't teach me about gambling. He taught me about Charlie Hustle and, and how, how hard he played. And I, I remember thinking, and I remember him kind of teaching me some things that that was the only variable we could control was like how much heart you would give. So I think I played with a lot of passion for that reason. And I also think that there was always a constant chip on the shoulder. You know, as you started to get better, like I always wanted to be something more. You know, my, my, my father remembers when I was a red shirt, um, you know, at the end of the game, you kind of go to the end zone and hang out with your family, like all the new, they wait for the players come out. Well, I mean, I was already out because I wasn't dressed because I wasn't playing. Um, and my dad was telling me that he remembers some other guys in Illinois State kind of like talking to agents. And he said that he could just see it in my eyes that like I wanted to be that guy. You know, like I wanted to be the one that people wanted to talk to. Like I wanted, I wanted to win. I wanted to be the best. Uh, you know, and I think all the goals were kind of set realistically, fortunately. Like, you know, I just wanted to play. Then I wanted to be all-conference. Then I wanted to be first-team all-conference. I want to be all-American. Then you want to be unanimous first-team all-American. Like, you just kind of – I didn't just get there, though, and say I want to play professional football. Like, that didn't even become a reality, really, until, like, a junior or senior year. Because I remember thinking at the time, like, well, if I was, if I was good enough, people would kind of tell you that maybe I would be at – Notre Dame or Clemson or Alabama or somewhere like that and that's just frankly not how, how it works anymore you know I mean they can find great talent all over I feel like the Missouri Valley Football Conference has so many players that are actively playing and I'm, I'm proud to have came from that but at, when I was in school I just remember thinking like well you just don't really know if you belong yet and all I could control was being the best that I could be at our level and then it was up for other people to determine whether they thought I could make that transfer from our level to another. To this day, you are still the all-time FCS career tackles leader in two different categories. What in particular do you think made you such an elite defensive player? Probably mentality a little bit. I, I had I had great coaching that kind of taught us to kind of play all out. And then I had, once again, kind of a burning desire that I wanted to make every play. And I think also the nature of my position, when you play middle linebacker, you think about it, it's just kind of it's, it's a little bit more difficult for people to run away from you, especially if you're in the middle of the field. But ultimately, like, I wanted to be a part of every play. I mean, there was – I feel like a lot of plays that were made that I shouldn't have probably made. And that wasn't because I had a great talent. It was because I put such great effort into getting there. You know, it was more a lot of hustle plays, a lot of effort plays. I mean, I hope there was some great plays as well, but like the majority of them, I think were more effort. Like it was more that I simply kind of wanted it more than, more than other people. Um, and then mo the moment you start to taste some success, I feel like you, you just kind of want even more of it. You know I mean? I remember, like becoming an All-American, you know, kind of jumping on the scene. Well, no one really knows you then. Then the, then the following year, people kind of start to prepare for you. But then it's kind of even more of a compliment if you can, if you can win again. You know what I mean? Because now, like, people understand who you are and there isn't this kind of, like, surprise variable. 
Yeah. You know, it's more that like, no, you, you know who I am and I'm still going to make that play. Um, and, and then I think, you know, we had a, we had a run conference more at the time. It wasn't there. The, the game was a little different. It wasn't as aired out. And so that probably played to my strengths a little bit with being able to kind of make a lot more plays, you know, simply in the run game. After your playing days ended, you were the TV analyst for Redbird football games and also the IHSA football championships in Illinois. Why did broadcasting intrigue you? Well, I don't know if it did initially. I think when I moved back, once again, I was searching for an identity. I was trying to figure out the kind of person I really wanted to be and what I was going to do. Um, fortunately, that was like a great opportunity because I didn't really know if I'd ever move home. And I ended up moving back to Bloomington, Illinois, you know, to accept a job at Stryker. And it was a great thing for me because it brought me back around my family, which I hadn't lived around for five years or so. Um, and then it brought me back around the program. And really, I think that opportunity to be an analyst kind of allowed me to like stay closer to the program. Because um, I'm the kind of person I, kind of, I feel like I kind of need to be involved in order to really be involved. Like, I don't know if I would have just proactively on my own drove to as many games or, or been as close to the organization as I was unless I was involved with the organization. Mm -hmm. So I think that that worked out pretty well for everyone there. I mean, I really enjoyed that. Um, I, it was it was more difficult than people thought. You know, I was uh, paranoid of, of speaking the way that I look sometimes. So I didn't want to like bark or, you know, sound like a caveman at people. So you kind of have to do a little bit of, of research there and study some things because, you know, there's also a lot of moments on the on these games that you know, it's different than what you see on ESPN and the major network television where there's all these graphics and there's all these sideline people they can go to. You know, on, on those levels, a lot of times when there's silence, you're expected to talk, but you don't really want to be the person who just kind of talks about nothing because who likes that person? And you also don't want to say like the most just basic things like, oh, what a, what a gain on the two-yard run. You know what I mean? Like you just need to be a little bit more creative than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really enjoyed the experience it's good that you recognize that though because some, every now and then I work with somebody that doesn't understand that and it's kind of awkward at times <laughs> well I mean I remember plenty of times you know I mean as a color commentator whenever they do a replay you know you're supposed to speak and there was times when we'd replay and I'm like nope <laughs> change the subject or because like that that particular replay like we were replaying something I don't know if somebody just hit the wrong button, but we were replaying something that, that wasn't necessarily replay worthy. So like, there wasn't really a lot to contribute to that. And everyone, everyone knows an announcer. I mean, it's a very opinionated subject that they either like or dislike and for whatever reason. But like, I think I was intentionally trying to portray some emotional intelligence to not just talk to be talking, to actually contribute something or make it remotely self-deprecating to provide some degree of humor to it. Yeah. Boomer, for the fifth year in a row, you are up for the College Football Hall of Fame. How do you manage the emotions knowing that you're nominated again with the anticipation of whether you'll be a part of this next Hall of Fame class? Well, uh, another great question. I think, you, I think you manage it because it's outside of your control. You know what I mean? Like, it, it became, I, I would actually be as honest to say almost frustrating how each year you're kind of nominated. So it just seems like, all right, you're just nominated for life until so hopefully someday someone puts you in. Um, you know, obviously, it, I believe it's actually starting to mean more to me than I thought it would. And I think some of that is maturity. 
and just kind of like where you how you grow up in life like now that i have a son and i can look into his eyes um and just imagine like that that award to me is so much bigger than me because there were so many people involved like in my process that like it never would have happened without them so i feel like like go as as much as the hall of fame is like an individual award I just don't really view it that way because just like even all the people in Canton that were behind me and that helped me even get to Illinois state. Mm -hmm. And then all of the people at Illinois state from trainers to administrators, to different coaches, to colleagues, teammates that like had such an impact in, in my day to day there and like my life there. You know what I mean? Like it just seems like that getting it and getting in would be great for the university and kind of be for everyone that was kind of ever part of my, my roller coaster ride. Mm -hmm. So we hope to get in, obviously, the sooner the better. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, you, you certainly deserve to be in. Do you think if, if you would have played in the FBS level, do you believe you'd be voted in by now? In a way, but let me explain, because I don't think it's as, as um, just generic as our levels. I think if I would have performed the same career at the FBS level, it would have been nearly automatic. I'm assuming that maybe they get a little bit, they get a few more votes, which looking at that, like it's very hard for me to not like accept that. I mean, the, you know, there's a reason that some of these major universities have more people, you know, attend one game than some of the smaller ones do in an entire season. And you play on such a larger scale. So like, I mean, I, I'm not naive to that. You know I mean? I think the rules are you need to be a first team all American, I believe. And, and so like, I just kind of, when you look at if I believe if I was a three time first team All American at a major university, most likely we we probably would have already been in. But you know, I mean that's that's you could also argue if I was just a uh, a one year All American, but then I had a major NFL career, which even though it's not about the NFL, it's it's just impossible to deny that some of the greatest players that I ever played didn't really crush all of college football for years on end. They might have had just one year that was good. Yeah. But it still makes sense to me how maybe some of those said guys get in over a guy like me. Like, that's it's understandable, I guess. Yeah. You were drafted in the fifth round by the Kansas City Chiefs. Looking back on your five years in the NFL, what do you remember most about playing in the league? Uh, I mean, I, I remember a lot. I mean, mainly I remember the relationships and the friendships that I built. You know, I mean, the, the, the camaraderie that's kind of enjoyed in, in a locker room. And, and I remember Arrowhead. Like, I remember running out and, and, you know, Illinois State was such a smaller footprint when it comes to stadiums and fan base that, like, running out of Arrowhead, I remember being just so passionate and excited where, like, you know, I was probably cursing under my breath, but I remember like just tearing up and crying and just being like, I, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> Instead of feeling like I wanted to run into walls and crush people, I was just like overcome with emotion, you know, to like feel that environment. Um, and so those are some things that I'll, that I'll never forget, you know, and I'm, you know, I remember some specific games, rarely is it specific plays, but it's kind of like the guys that I got to play with. You know, I mean, whenever you've when you've been around kind of great players, like I think it's kind of easy to remember sometimes how they just kind of take over a game and you and you were a witness to it the same way that a fan was. I just had a better seat. You you're pretty good friends with Jared Allen. How did he help you throughout your NFL career and, and what kind of perspective did he give you? Well, uh, I mean, 
first of all, he was from a small school too. So he came from Idaho State, which he, he politely reminded me that he had beat me for the Buck Buchanan Award um, <laughs> at, at our level by, I think, one of the first times I, I was able to go to his house, he had me flip a light switch and that light just happened to kind of glare down on the top of a mantle, a fireplace that had uh, his Buck Buchanan trophy. It was, I have to give him credit, it was very well played. It was very, very well played on, uh, on essentially kind of gloating that like he took that award from me, which he did. I mean, I mean, I have to give him credit. I mean, who has 20 sacks in a season? Like, it's ridiculous. I mean, he's a defensive end. I mean, I would have, you know, I, I would have maybe started blocking him with more, more people. You know, as a middle linebacker, you can't run away from me. <laughs> it's a little different. Like, he, he plays on one side of the ball. Go the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I lost to him one year. I think I lost to Rasheen Mathis a year, and he had like 14 interceptions. I'm like, why are you throwing the ball that way? <laughs> like, 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 once again, like you can't run away from me. I, I stand in the middle of the field over the center. Yeah. Like just even geometrically speaking, you can't like the angles are. He played on one side of the field. Like, stop throwing the ball that way. <laughs> um, Jared, Jared had a great impact on me. Um, one, he was such a great player in the National Football League that it was an absolute one of the, it was one of the privileges of my career to even just play with him and to watch the impact that he could make in a game, but also just the adventures we had. We were two kids, you know, we were young, um, young kind of wild guys in the National Football League that kind of had all these wonderful adventures together. And I mean, some of the greatest stories that I've ever had in my life and greatest experiences, you know, were, were kind of with him. And some of that was him being an older guy and taking me under the, you know, his wing. And, and obviously he had a, a far more beautiful career than I did, but I got to experience his roller coaster along with my own. That's amazing. When you were with the Chiefs, you were featured heavily on HBO's Hard Knocks. What about how you were per portrayed on that show really resonated with fans and people out there? I think I had the ability to relate to people. Um, I think with a little bit of vulnerability and humility, then, then people don't get to see a lot of that out of professional athletes. Um, and I, I mean, I think it's just a shame. To me, it was, it's easy to do. It, it kind of builds a... It builds a friendship kind of naturally and quicker and also just kind of makes me feel more comfortable in the conversation. But I also believe like there just wasn't, I never thought that highly of myself, I don't believe. <laughs> so it was easier for me to start with a little self-deprecation um, in order to lighten the mood and then we could go into other things. So I think that, that fans appreciate that. And I think they also appreciate, you know, a story of the kind of nothing to something. I mean, that's why we kind of all admire those, those moments where somebody who goes, who goes to college essentially because a guy walked through a weight room, you know, ends up drafted in the National Football League it is amazing when, when recruiting is such a huge part of every sport. It's like, how does that even happen? And, and, and I hold no ill will and no regrets. Like, to me, it just makes the story that much better to tell. Um, and I think it maybe gives a little bit of inspiration and hope to some people that maybe not, that are not, you know, a Under Armour All-American. and Not everybody that's supposed to be great always can be. Like, you, you have the ability to kind of take some of that as well if you want to. I was surprised to learn that you, when you were younger, you competed in trampoline growing up and you were a member of the AAU national team and a three-time All-American trampoline champion. How in the world did you get involved in trampolining? 
So uh, that that's a very natural question because one would not associate a 250-pound linebacker uh, with, with trampoline. No. But my mother um, was an executive director at the YMCA, and she also had a tumbling team. Mm. So it started very close to home. But it's a very uh, unorthodox background for a middle linebacker. But it was actually one of those things that I think provided great benefit to me. Um, the trampoline it provides so much core strength, which kind of translates into so many other parts of athletics, let alone like flexibility. Um, and it just kind of gave me this, this broader perspective uh, of experiences. Uh, once again, was probably humbling and allowed me to be a little vulnerable because, you know, a lot of people I think would laugh at that. And, and I understand where they would laugh at it, but then it was also hard to deny that you just had 25 tackles against, you know, a major university. So it kind of, you know, it, it, it took care of itself, I guess, that you can have a unique background and still be successful at something that has probably an, uh, an overly exaggerated amount of masculinity. I, I think it's amazing. I mean, I, I wrestling, I expected, or baseball or some of those sports, but <laughs> right. you just don't run across people most often in research that they did trampolining. I don't even know if that's the right terminology, trampolining. I don't know if that's what you call it, but um, it, I, it was fascinating. Well, At first I, mean, I was like, it works. Is, this, is this even right? Is this correct what I'm reading? So It's now in the Olympics, so now it's a little bit more of a mainstream sport, even though I'm not sure if I'd call it mainstream. It's probably still relatively unknown to the masses, yeah. but it, it's an Olympic sport. It was, it was a big part of my my childhood um and I, I feel once again fortunate that like my mother introduced that to me and i like that it's a different story you know i like that it's just not your standard uh baseball basketball football all-american story yeah no it's fantastic you go by boomer but I, i'm pretty sure that james is technically your first name how did you earn the nickname of boomer correct so supposedly my grandmother who lived right next door to me. That's, that's, that's not just in movies. That is like a true small town story. Uh, my grandmother and grandfather lived next door to me, but supposedly the day that I was born, I came out very thick, but I would say more, um, more chunky than muscular. Okay. So kind of like the roly poly baby with lots of like rolls. And, and apparently she said that he looks like a little boomer, which telling the story makes me still curious to what that really means. But I think most people grow out of a nickname, and I kind of grew more into mine with, with football and probably just an overall mentality to where um, even Stryker, you know, as a publicly traded billion-dollar company, uh, they send out emails that have Boomer. I mean, my, my email is boomer.grigsby. Like, it's not <laughs> – uh, even, even a publicly traded company doesn't use James. And, and the National Football League didn't use James either. So uh, I think it's, it's pretty much been adopted – um, to society and, and I'm not even sure if walking down the street and someone said James if you would even get me to turn over my shoulder and and as you mentioned before we started this you you have a newborn son and he has a unique name too he does so my, my son's name is Greer uh, G-R-I-E-R um, his name is Greer Tucker Grigsby and so Greer is actually my mother's maiden name and, and Tucker is my my wife's mother's maiden name so and it's also sending positive vibes of uh, GTG good to go yeah I like it final question what is your biggest joy and greatest fear as a dad of three um, I think my greatest joy 
is is when we're experiencing something all together. I like to see their face change at the way that they see something. Um, sometimes you see that at a, at a Disney World, which I never really thought that it would be something that I would be speaking about on a podcast. Um, so sometimes it's the smaller moments watching his face light up at me and the way that like he, he'll smile kind of when I, when I turn a corner or come in the house. Um, you know, I haven't really thought a lot about my biggest fears for them, but like I would, to me, I just hope that his mind stays free. Um, I hope that he, he kind of has his own dreams and his own ambitions and that he has by no needs needs a father needs to follow in his father's footsteps and, just because football is such a big part of my life doesn't mean that it has to be such a big part of his. You know, if he'd like to play it, I would love for him to play it. I'm not afraid for my, my children to play football. I just don't want him to feel any pressure that he has to, that he has to uh, kind of have the obsession that I did with it at that age. So I, I hopefully will just be able to teach a degree of passion and playing hard and just kind of an overall desire for the game more so than I will, you know, having to be so successful at it. What about with your two daughters being a girl dad? My two daughters, I guess there's always a natural fear in making sure that your daughters that someday meet the right kind of man. Um, <laughs> seeing that I'm sure there's been moments of my life that I was non-complimentary and may been one of those not so great men. But uh, I, I would like for them to be able to be a better judge of character than maybe uh, others and, and to be able to see through that. And I think that the best example or the best way you can do that is to set a good example for them. Um, so that's, that's that fear. Is <laughs> the teenage boy that they bring in the door someday. <laughs> I mean, that'll be interesting. I'm most likely I, could, I, I can still handle that in a tank top and probably like an aggressive attitude. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's things you could say that would would put a teenage boy on his heels a little bit. <laughs> maybe politely diplomatic. Yeah, can't be too direct, but maybe somewhat suggesting. Yeah, because you never want to be threatening to anyone. Because remember, we also want everyone to be kind in this household. Yeah. <laughs> or you. I could... didn't have to be kind playing middle linebacker. No. Was, you know, he didn't have to worry about that playing middle <laughs> linebacker. That wasn't that wasn't a thing. Be kind is not one of the prerequisites. <laughs> or you could take the direct approach, like I, I believe my dad did with my younger sister, and, and tell whoever she's dating, you know, if you break my daughter's heart, I'll do this to you. And it, it was something kind of scary if you're a guy. <laughs> right, right. I, I usually, uh, I think a little bit um, deeper than that. And I, and I don't think I would want anyone to know that I said that out loud, but I'd rather think that I'd rather want them to know that maybe that's what I was implying. <laughs> Emotional psychological warfare. Yeah. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want people to know or that you would like to share just about life now or anything really at all? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's, it's important for football players to know that whether you're leaving college or whether you're leaving the National Football League, that, that it'll be okay. And I think that if it's hard for you, it's okay to know that it's hard because it's, it's been hard for a lot of others before you. And that maybe you just need to kind of reach out to some other people uh, and just try to keep some habits in your life that will kind of keep you healthy. Um, and I think it's just... It, I think it's important more for people to know that it's okay, that it's not okay. You know what I mean? Because I just remember it was a major transition for me when I left the game. And like I said, I think it hurt my feelings. And I, 
and I, I think I made jokes about it, but really I was kind of telling a subtle truth within my jokes. So now looking back, now I can just admit like, no, it, it hurt my feelings. <laughs> like, that, that was a fact. And I think uh, if people know that it's okay, it doesn't necessarily make it any easier, but it just might make it a little bit more acceptable to them. Mm -hmm. And hopefully if that helps anyone, you know, then it was worth it. Good advice. Thank you for taking the time to, to do this today. It's, it's fun to catch up and hear what you're up to now and hear about your family and, and all your successes. Thank you very much. I, I enjoyed it. I appreciate you guys taking the time. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of Valley Football First and Goal with Kelly Bird the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference, only on the lineupmedia.fm network. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcasts.